I'm actually going to sit today. Is that okay? <laughs> yeah, yesterday, um, my son invited me to go to Gold's Gym. <laughs> and of course, you know, I can uh, keep up with him. <laughs> I uh, did some leg presses, and I was walking out of the, the gym, and I was like wobbly, so... <laughs> I think I'm just going to sit today if that's <laughs> And it made me think about, you know, we are called to exercise, aren't we? I mean, I love to walk every day. I, don't, I never was a gym person. Um, but I, I try to walk every day. Um, and that's, that's good for us. And, you know, as I thought about this week's passage, actually, it, it's really going to, I think, speak to us about exercising our faith. Our faith is going to get stretched and it's going to get weak and we don't need to go through those times alone. I think the time for young disciples that Jill gave us an overview of what the kids are going to be engaging is right on target with, with the gospel of Mark's message to us this morning that there are going to be times when the winds and the waves, literally, storms, trust me being from Florida, right? Literally, storms. And then there's those winds and waves in your own life that you are going to go through being a follower of Jesus or not. And how do we make sense of it all? And this is part of on this side of heaven, us exercising, being connected to Jesus first and foremost, and reaching out to the body of Christ that God blesses us with. I like to say, if you would look to your left or right this morning, down your whole row, probably you don't know everybody in that row very, very well. Maybe you do. But God brings his people together, whether you know them or not, and we're in this together as we seek here at Good Shepherd to invite everyone to grow into a Christ-centered life in God's family. We need to exercise our faith. And in one way, I believe Jesus is teaching his disciples in the midst of the Sea of Galilee that you, friends, you need to have faith, over fear. And I don't want to just say that as a platitude, a throwaway line. Yeah, every, everything you go through, friends, just have faith. Don't have fear. I think Jesus knows exactly that we're supposed to have fear on this side of heaven, and it's going to happen. What do we do in those moments when fear comes crashing over the sides of the boat? And I think... We need to remember and to believe and have hope that Jesus cares so deeply for us. His promise of presence is real and he will never leave us nor forsake us. Never, ever, ever. Amen? And let's remember Mark's gospel. Mark's gospel is all about, as, it, as we kicked it off a, a month or so ago, about highlighting four particular areas of Jesus' authority. First and foremost, we're learning that Jesus has authority of preaching and teaching. That's his primary authority. 
And we're in the midst of chapter 4. We're going to wrap it up today where Jesus is teaching and preaching to the multitudes and he's using these new things called parables to do so. Some get it, some don't. His disciples, as we'll find out, get that inner circle explanation of God's word through his son, Jesus Christ. So, preaching and teaching. The authority of calling disciples. The disciples he's called around him, as I just mentioned, are getting that insider trading information. He is calling them, equipping them, and allowing them to know some of the secrets of the kingdom of God, not so they can walk around with a badge of honor on their shirts or their tunics, but so that they eventually will be sent out to preach and teach to others, which they don't quite get right away or like right away. So authority in preaching and teaching, authority in calling to disciples, authority in spiritual deliverance, and authority of physical healing and emotional healing, which includes creation, which we'll see today. Now, some people say this storm on the Sea of Galilee, as they were going to the other side, they were going, and, and next week, Pastor Curtis will um, preach on the, the Gerizim demoniac. And a lot of people think as that storm came up, and when Jesus said, quiet, be still, Jesus was speaking to those forces of evil that were, were coming against he and the disciples in the Sea of Galilee. But that's for you to decide. But these four areas of authority I see happening in this text that we're going to engage in just a few minutes as Jesus, after teaching the multitudes from a boat on one side of the Sea of Galilee calls his disciples to let's go to the other side. The side of non-Jew, of non-religious people, of the Greeks, of the Romans, of those pagans, those heathens. Why in the world would Jesus want people, especially his disciples, to go to the other side? And can you imagine his disciples? I want to just put up the last two verses from last week's text. Let's put that up there. These were the last two verses that we heard last week. With similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. So his disciples and Jesus are forming a very powerful bond of trust. And so why, when the winds and the waves begin to blow on the Sea of Galilee, would Jesus be sleeping? I think we get an understanding as to why the disciples are going to act the way they did. But so the one thing I want you to think about this morning and we'll think about it right before we enter into communion, is this. These words of Jesus that we'll hear in just a second. Quiet, be still. Quiet. If Jesus were to speak those words to you today, quiet, be still, how would they connect with you? What are you going through right now that those words 
from Jesus' mouth, from his heart, to your ears, quiet be still, what would they mean to you today? And so friends, I invite you to open up your Bibles this morning to Mark chapter 4. And we'll be reading now straight through this part, the ending part of, of Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, which is probably entitled in a lot of your Bibles, Jesus Calms the Storm. Jesus and his disciples encounter a storm, a very big storm that caused a lot of stress, friends. The disciples turn to Jesus for help, and so friends, if they can turn to Jesus for help, so can we. The calming of the storm is the first time that a sign or a miracle is performed, especially for that inner circle, for those disciples. This passage is not first and foremost about us, though. It's all about Jesus. And I say that only after we see what the text says about Jesus can we see what it has to say to us and about us. And so listen with your hearts this morning as well as your ears. Verse 35 of chapter 4 says, That day... When evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was, in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to the disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified. Imagine that. They were terrified now probably even more than the st from the storm. They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. God's word to us today, friends. The Sea of Galilee is well known, even to this day, for its sudden and violent storms that can come out of nowhere in a moment's notice. The severity of this storm is shown by the reaction of the disciples. Basically, they were saying what? We are drowning, or about to. Several of the disciples were experienced fishermen. It was not new to them to be on a boat on the Sea of Galilee. And they were frightened and feared perishing in the storm. Did you notice or hear in verse 38, the we, teacher, don't you care if we drown? I would paraphrase it like this. Hey, Jesus. You're in trouble here too. 
Maybe you better wake up, get a bucket, and start bailing along with us because we are perishing. It really was not a request to him to do anything, but a protest against his apparent indifference. The disciples were afraid, but at the same time, they were several experienced fishermen, as I just mentioned, among them. They knew they were in jeopardy. In fact, Luke's gospel that tells this very same story highlights that fact. It goes a little bit more detailed about what some of these fishermen were thinking in the boat. They worked hard at bailing out the water, at rowing in a certain rhythm, I'm sure, at piloting the boat in a certain direction, and they were probably just annoyed that Jesus didn't appear to want to help them. And I ask each of us this morning, when have you wondered if Jesus cares about you or someone you love? When have you wondered that very same thing? That is Jesus know what I'm going through? Does Jesus care? Friends, this story, though, isn't just about danger and rescue. Behind stories like this, Mark's readers would probably heard older echoes, stories that they knew. I mean, think of, for a minute, Jonah. For those of you that know the story of Jonah, instead of doing what God told Jonah to do, he was sailing away in the wrong direction. A great storm arose, which only was calmed when at his prompting, the sailors threw him overboard. Now the disciples had obeyed Jesus and followed him to the other side. Why in the world would a storm be happening and Jesus be sleeping? Or think of the Israelites coming out of Egypt when God made a way through the sea. Think even further back to the story of creation when God brought order over the waters. The Spirit of God in Genesis 1 was hovering over what? The water. The Psalms, one of them that I read at the opening of worship today, speak of the creator God who rules the raging sea, telling it rough and threatening waves to quiet down. And friends, if you put these pictures together, what do we have? Apart from the fishermen, the Jews were not seer Fearing people. They left that to their Phoenician neighbors to the north. The sea came to symbolize for them the dark power of evil, threatening to destroy God's good creation, God's people, God's purposes. In fact, in the books like Daniel, in the Old Testament, the sea is where the monsters came from. So when Jesus rescues the disciples from a storm, we are witnessing something which says in pretty solid terms what the parables that Jesus was talking about earlier in this chapter were saying in word pictures. And what is that? God's sovereign power is being unleashed. God's inbreaking kingdom is at hand. Who is this? The disciples asked. Even the wind and the waves obey him. 
And this power, friends, is now living in Jesus. And he's in the boat, and he's doing what? Sleeping. Now, you all, some of you, got an extra hour of sleep, or did you just wake up an extra hour early, right? I mean, it's a very human thing to do, is to what? Sleep. I think this parable also gives us a beautiful picture of the miracle and the mystery of the incarnation. You got a very human Jesus sleeping in the back of the boat in the middle of a raging storm. And you have that very same Jesus get wakened up by his disciples and say what? Quiet, be still. And everything was quiet and still. The total calm of the sea should have filled them with peace, right? We would think it's all smooth sailing from there. But instead, they were just as afraid when he calmed the storm as they were in the midst of it. They were terrified. Who is this? In some ways, I think that's a rhetorical question. The answer to that is this is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords that we sang about. This is God in the flesh. It's how Mark 1, 1 begins. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In the span of a few moments, the disciples saw both the complete humanity of Jesus and the fullness of his deity. They saw Jesus for who he is, truly man and truly God. The disciples believed Jesus cares deeply But this storm looks deadly and he looks indifferent. How can they put these two factors together? Have you ever been there, friends? Believing in the depths of your heart that Jesus loves you, that we say that God is in control of all things at all times, and yet it seems that God is silent. It seems that God isn't answering the prayers how you want it, when you want it, and where. You want him to. Have you ever been there? Suffering, friends, disrupts our trust too. There's no way to get around it. Suffering disrupts our trust in Jesus too. If it hasn't happened to you yet, it will. We think God cares. But when suffering comes, it stretches our ability to see his care. It, 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 it blinds us from the fact that Jesus is there in the boat with us. It can seem as if he is sleeping, though. In the boat, it did not merely seem that Jesus was sleeping, right? He wasn't there with really one eye open, waiting till they would ask. Jesus, Mark says, was really what? Asleep, on a cushion. Friends, again, I don't want to spiritualize the wind and waves in our lives because there was no spiritualizing at that moment the wind and the waves of those who were closest to Jesus, the very disciples, were experiencing a storm on the Sea of Galilee and they thought they were going to meet their maker. 
Jesus demonstrates his humanity. And the last time I checked, you and I are human too. Jesus is the model of faith because he is fully human. We can relate to that. We should relate to that. But Jesus, friends, is also the object of our faith because he is fully divine. He's the model of our faith because he's fully human, and he's the object of our faith because he's fully divine. And Jesus was trying to reorient the disciples' focus in the midst of a very real storm, in the very midst of their lives being in danger. He was focusing them on the object of their faith that he was developing through parables because he is truly God. This text does not tell us, friends, that there won't be suffering or doubting moments in your life. This text says there will be. And as the Isaiah 43 text that Sherry read for us this morning, we hear words in that text that says, Fear not. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. Friends, when God grabs a hold of you, he will not let go. We have a new cat in our house for the last six months or so. And one of the things that, again, I'm picking on Brett this morning. Sorry, Brett. He loves to pick that cat out at times by the scruff of his neck. And I understand that doesn't hurt them a bit, but it makes my stomach wobble. And that's this idea of when you hear in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul likes to use this word. It's called catalambano. Say it. Catalambano. If Jesus grabs a hold of you, you have been catalambanoed. He's grabbing you and he's not letting you Go. Isaiah 43 says also, Behold, God is doing a new thing in your life, even in the midst of the world of chaos. Can you believe that? Can you trust that? Jesus was telling his disciples, Have faith that even in the midst of this storm, I am doing a new work in your midst. Can't you see it? And so, friends, focus on. On Jesus and the hope and the true comfort that his presence brings. There are so many other things that we could put our focus on in this world. Just a chapter before in Isaiah, chapter 42, verse 17, the prophet says, They shall be turned back and utterly put to shame. Those who trust in carved images, who say to cast images, You are our God. And if it's not the God with the capital G, friends, all else will crumble around us. Today we are constantly pressured to put our trust in how much money we have, political parties and personalities, even sports, right? If my team wins, all is well with the world. Maybe it's your career or your job or, or nothing wrong with family, but you idolize a family member and it's all, if they do well, you do well. And Isaiah the prophet says, don't 
place your hope and your trust in other gods, small g. I love Pastor E.V. Hill's quote that sometimes it may seem like Friday, but Sunday's a coming. <laughs> Jesus was put into that tomb on a Friday, but friends, Sunday's a coming. We have to tell ourselves and in the right moments and opportunities tell others that Sunday's coming. Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33, I have said this to you, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will face persecution, but take courage. I have conquered or I have overcome the world. And so friends, I'm going to have Lucas put that slide back up on the screen, that quiet be still. So if Jesus, or as Jesus says that to you today, quiet, be still, how does that connect with you? How does that connect with you right now? I don't think there's a better opportunity, friends, than to have that connect with us, than to be asked to come to the table of our Lord, to remember that his body was given for us, blood was shed for us, and he was put into the tomb on a Friday, but Sunday's a coming. And so that's what we do today. We hear from Jesus in his word, and based on his invitation and his commandment to us to do this in remembrance of me, we'll be reminded that Jesus loves you so much that he cares so much that we can have hope and believe that Jesus cares because he died for us.